New Media Comedy Worldwide Studios. New Media Comedy Worldwide presents Comedy Legacy Series with Jim Mandrinos. And now, your host, Jim Mandrinos. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming in to the Comedy Legacy Series. This is Jim Mandrinos, and I'm going to be joined today with a very special guest, Mr. Rick Overton. Rick Overton's been doing stand-up for 40 years. He's got a special coming out on Comedy Dynamics, uh, which is a totally improvised special. And Rick is an actor, a comic, and an improviser. Uh, and he's got some amazing insights into marrying all three of those disciplines together. We got to sit down and, and talk via Zoom uh, about the process and about his history and about what makes him take as an artist. And you guys are in for a fun time. So without any further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy Mr. Rick Overton. All right, joining me right now, and this is a get for uh, this show, we've got Rick Overton, and Rick is one of my influences. So this is so much fun to have you on the show. I first saw you uh, in what most people refer to as the greatest young comedian special of all time on HBO, uh, where, uh, if I believe correctly, you were with Seinfeld and Harry Anderson and so many other wonderful performers. Uh, and uh, you, you have a 40-year legacy in show business that even predates that. You started as half of a comedy team, and I was lucky enough to spend time with you and also your former partner, Roger Sullivan. So you've done pretty much everything from your own hour-long special on a bunch of places, uh, including an improvised hour that you have coming up on Comedy Dynamics, which we need to get to. But uh, I want to start the interview um, with, with the question that I believe is on everyone's mind. What's with the mask? What's with the mask, Mr. Overton? I know it's a pandemic. I know we're here. But, uh, but that, is just, that is just one hellacious mask. That is a mask almost out of sci-fi. Well, Jim, you see, lots of people are not talking about the elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room? I literally have an elephant in the room, and the smell is unbelievable. Oh, the, that and would so, explain that <laughs> I'm just making a jest. You know, you're not the only one who can make with the funnies. No, it's my cooking, Jim. You see, now that I'm stuck at home, I have to cook for myself, and then I have to eat everything I cooked. And well, let me just say, you don't want to enter the place for the next couple of weeks. You're gonna have to decontaminate the place after that. Uh, the hell with Clorox wipes. You need some I don't have grease. A dog. I don't have a dog to blame. No, no, you don't. Um, really, you know what I believe? What? I believe that's as far as this joke goes, so off it comes. <laughs> but you know what? That, that joke is a good joke, and the fact that you're willing to sweat for your art means a lot to everybody. Oh, man. That's, uh, well, you know, it's hard work living on my giant palatial estate here, as you can see. Yes. And there's the, the polo field up behind me, and oh, there goes one of the horses now. <laughs> Say, Jim, would you yes. you like to join me uh, for some champagne? Ooh, oh, Martin that's Ellis, right. You can't, because we're socially distant. So I'll yes. have a toast for you, sir, and then you will toast with me. I will toast with you. 
Here's my actual champagne I'm pouring into my finest crystal. Ooh. And to your health, sir. To yours. Clink. Yes. Clink. There you go. You know, I'm just an average super celebrity stuck at home in my huge estate that, you know what's good about this quarantine? What? I get to explore my own home. <laughs> There's so many parts of it I don't know. I'm a rugged endorsement now, Jim. How are things at the East Wing? Oh, I have to get to the East Wing. There you that, They're that, just finishing it now. Oh my, and they're continuing construction in the pandemic. That is amazing. Oh, I work <laughs> them year round like little elves. I, I want to talk about this because you were in the one movie that, that most mirrors what we're doing right now, uh, Groundhog Day. You know, every day is incredibly the same yeah. at this moment. Uh, I, want to, I want to talk to you, uh, to you about That's a great analogy, Jim. That's a perfect analogy, man. It's Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. One million times over. Uh, I yeah. want to talk to you about that because um, your scenes with, with obviously, Bill Murray and, uh, and Rick, uh, those scenes were just so wonderfully improvisational. Was yeah, so Harold Ramis, man, he's a Second City guy. Mm -hmm. And so he loved improv and he said, let's play around with the car pulling up and what, what do you got, you know? When a director, when a director says, what do you got? Yeah. It's like this oh, ah, four words that just, they're up there with, you know, I love you loads or whatever it is. It's, it's big. It's a big thing to hear. It's the same amount of trust and love as that. So when he allowed us to do come in and, and Bill to, to come up with a, a shtick together, collaborating with Bill Murray and I'm, riffing with my pal Rick Dukeman in there in the cold night air of uh that was in uh, uh Woodstock Illinois mm -hmm. they didn't they weren't able to shoot in Pennsylvania Punxsutawney was not a suitable location <laughs> so they went to Illinois and pretended it was Punxsutawney yep so that's where we were and uh yeah we're coming up with all kinds of physical shtick to do and Bill Murray goes he threw me the uh, flapjacks line Ah, oh, it's a great line. Order some flapjacks. Because my angle was I'm almost at the edge of having to throw up the whole time. Yep. So it would be funny if he orders food at the end of that, you know. So that was his angle. I thought, that's a great angle. And yeah. so I'm just stuck between Dukeman and Bill and making faces. And it was just it was one of the best times I've ever had. Well, I want to talk to you about this because this, this, uh, this program is all about comics and their process. You put so much physicality into your humor. The physical is almost equal to the verbal with you. And dare I say, at times more. I remember an entrance you made at, a, at Gotham in New York City where when they introduced you, you just ran clear across the stage, never stopped, never broke stride. You embrace the physical. What, what is that process to bring that into your art? Uh, you know my heroes my comedy heroes had a lot of physicality in what they did mm -hmm. and you can even say jonathan winters 
had a lot of physicality. Look at what he did. Ton wow. of physicality with yeah. the acting out and the arrows are hitting him and he's the cowboy and he's the astronaut and all that stuff. And <laughs> if he doesn't have any props, he holds his hands to, he held his hands to show you what the scene was and painted it instantly, you know? So it was painting. And uh, so I love Dick Van Dyke. Finally got to meet him, finally. Oh. Oh, bucket oh, list man. moment right oh. there, yeah. Uh, John Cleese. Mm -hmm. Super physical, because a lot of times a big guy has to watch his physicality, whereas a little guy can go all over the place and wag and fill a room with his hands like Oliver Hardy has to contract for his comedy. You know, he has to pull inward to not be intimidating. And then these other guys just kind of broke free out of that and stopped caring about those rules. And I kind of was in that transitional era when you could have heroes like Marty Feldman and, you know. Oh, the, the facial acting. The facial yeah. acting that Marty Feldman would do. In Young Frankenstein, it was all about the face. And, and A lot of silent film goodness. Yeah. In so Absolutely. much of it, you know. Now, does it require, on your end, because Peter Sellers. Oh, I just want to say, Peter Sellers. Sellers was the other hero who would, and it was a, a some of my comedy heroes, they weren't stand-up comedy guys, mm -hmm. though he did do some. That was, he was yeah. doing a performance piece. Uh, I, uh, I, I loved the, the way to commit to something that's absurdly out of place and not real with the reality of how you believe it in that moment. Yeah. Your that commitment is... to it takes some of the absurdity, the, hey, wait a second factor out, you know? Now... Is that something you write into the process, or is that just your natural innate abilities? I think that's, if you recognize it in the work, you probably have some part of it within you, but you see the work done properly, and mm -hmm. it helps guide you. You don't have to do an exact copy of it to understand you've, you've been shown its rules. You've okay. seen how it lays out and plays out. You see how other people react. So you see where it belongs. And... That's really the dance when you're coming up with something that's going to in innovate in a performance is seeing what belongs is what was based on the past as what was considered to have belonged. And then how do you break that? Mm -hmm. And how far do you break it for, oh, you went too far, and now no one gets what you're doing. And it's like any joke on a, on a Sunday night when you got the yellow pad out, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk. Risk. Yeah. And, and the risk is always worth the reward, which I try and tell young comics, even, even if you fail, the risk is always worth the reward. Yeah, yeah. especially if you're in a, a low-impact setting when you're doing it. Yeah. I, I want yeah, to be talk smart. Don't, don't do it on the big audition night, you know. Which, yeah. And ha have we not all done that, my friend? Oh, yes, we have. Yeah, well, you don't tell me how to do this, man. I'm going to try my new bit out for those guys. Oh, and it doesn't die. It goes okay. But just it's not, not good, just enough. good enough. You can convince yourself on the drive home. Screw those guys. I know what I was doing. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Broken can tell you in, in great detail how I did that on a Tonight Show audition. Um, I want to talk to Jimmy. you. I want to talk to you about, uh, because you said rules. And that's a really great segue for you because your stuff is so improvisational and you work improvisationally. You have a whole special in comedy dynamics that you improvised an hour. How much does the rules and the structure 
you know, contribute to giving you the freedom to play? The rules are kind of basic things like a relatability factor within the bit. So mm -hmm. it's not just your indulgence towards yourself. It is your you're accommodating everybody else's perception of what you're doing up to a certain point. And that's the, that's that dance, that balancing act at all times. How far do I push your recognition of everything that's supposed to be? You laugh because you know what I'm talking about. And then that, oh, I surprised you. How much of a surprise? Too much of a surprise. No one gets it. Yeah. And back and forth. And it, it, that's a beautiful thing about doing set lists. Set lists, this creation of Troy Conrad's, is a game where there's a projection screen off to one side or the other, and you're standing there with a mic, cold crowd staring at you. You are not allowed to use your act, not one syllable. You can't use your regular act, the one you're always up there doing. If something shows up out of the past that wasn't current, ah, all right, we'll let that one go. But as a rule, we're watching. Don't do anything we know. And so they project a topic and it's not normal topics okay. it's weird things it's blended words and then you, you you uh like uh proctometrist was one of the ones they threw at me and i and i opened and i came back with uh well you know they say hindsight is 2020. that's a great line yes that you know, is but, a great line <laughs> Every comic has this in them. There's this thing that come up with a great line. You do it every weekend. Yeah. You used to do it every weekend before this. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be back to doing it every weekend. Yeah. But, uh, right now I'm doing it every Zoom show I get. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the gig, man. This is the norm for right now. It will change, and I keep telling the youngins it'll change. But you know, some of them are losing hope. You know, we were very fortunate and. We got to live through the boom. We got to live through the 80s boom. Uh, and we, we've seen a couple of busts in our times, too. But, you know, uh, this is the first bust for some comics. So there, there's a, a lot of panic that's setting in among the young ones. Um, like, you know, our Zoom shows all that there's ever going to be. And, and that's something that I just wanted to point out that, you know, the greats, you know, people like yourself and uh, we talked to Tom Dreesen earlier on, on another program, it's the ability to adapt to the circumstance. That's what comics do. You have a corporate show, that's one style of show. You have an all improv show, that's another style of show. You're in a club, that's another style of show. This is just another note that we're all learning at the same time and we'll take what we learn and make the other shows better too. Do you find after all these years, you're still learning, still growing, and is, is that still part of what turns you on about the media. Yes, and. Nice That's the rule true. with the improv, man. Yes, and. It never went away. It doesn't switch and become a new rule. Yeah. It stays yes, and until. <laughs> what, what was the moment you knew that you could do stand-up? We all start, we all want it, but there's a moment that I find that comics are on stage and they just know it. Well, playing with Roger. Mm -hmm. Roger Sullivan from Sullivan. Roger Sullivan of Overton and Sullivan. We would start riffing around. And mm -hmm. my confidence built 
around the 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 slow build of the riffing and and then martin harvey friedberg helped me build more confidence being in zen boogie the new york production with roger helped build the confidence then playing with the original off the wall members joanne astro and mark lano yeah. on my own when roger and i were starting to run into you know the teams they seem so golden and easy going and magical when no one's paying but the second there's a paycheck you're a team and a team only gets paid once for a time frame they don't pay twice just because you're jammed into that amount of time yeah so you got a that long drive home arguing over whose premise is more important than whose punchline and um, yeah. money just tears the team apart you know it was art it was art for a little while when it was free it was art Let, let's let's talk a little bit about so, teams why why do you think they fell out of favor in comedy money that's one giant reason is especially post the boom you know teams were working almost more before the boom they were a bigger deal before the comedy boom. Yeah. They started, and, and it all broke into the bigger the money being paid a solo. They're going, hey, well, what the hell about us? Well, hey, well, what the hell about me? Well, yeah, what about me? That's this, the snake, you know? <laughs> money does change everything. Yeah. It makes a different kind of argument. Every couple knows this deal. Yeah. It's the same story. We're just another form of couple. It's not romantic. It's yeah. economic and artistic, but we kind of we fought like a couple, you know, over the money stuff. Yeah. Now, post post that you, you, you were a team for a while, then you had to reinvent as a solo artist. Did you find a different process when you were writing solo stand up as when you were creating your your team act? It was terrifying at first. I had a reflex. I was always oh. Uh, thank you very much. It's great to be here tonight. Right. Forgot. Reflex didn't remember. Roger's not there anymore. And so there were some nights when I had to improv save my ass, man. I didn't have enough of an act. I had to start, I had to just start playing to save myself. I was starting to write, but you know what you're doing when you're writing, by the way? You are either plagiarizing or improvising, and there's no third option. Right? Yep. What's the now, third option? Now, so many stand-ups are afraid of improv because it seems so fast. And I try and tell people that it is, it, it is fast, but it, it, improvising is writing and performing at the same time. You're just cutting yep. out the middleman. At the speed of life. Yeah. And so... Why do you think it is that so many traditional stand-ups are so unbelievably afraid of improv? L looking bad, looking like you can't, you can't do something you tried. The premise behind that is so terrifying to a comic that I had to talk Robin Williams into doing set list. And look at it from his perspective at the time. You're supposed to be the king of improv. Nothing can throw you. What if he had a rough set because he was just rusty and he's been on the series and his head is full of dialogue or whatever at the time? I said, don't even, don't even worry about it. This is bicycle riding for you, man. This is, you know, and for you, bicycle riding would have. Yeah. He loved his bicycles, but this was as, as close to it as he could have imagined 
and he did brilliantly. And so it's on YouTube, you can see it. And you see me in the back of the room talking to him before the show. And he's just a little freaked. I was like, just do it, man. You're gonna love it. And it, it became his favorite thing. He was talking about it everywhere afterwards. I recommend every comedian do this, by the way, because just do a low impact one. If you're in California, when Flappers gets going again, Go out and do one of their set list auditions. If you, you got another way to do it where you are, try to find a way to do this or put yourself in that kind of sink or swim and then realize what a good swimmer you've been the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Almost everyone is born with this ability and is either just convinced out of it or shamed out of it or ran another direction and it was so successful. I don't want to break it. I don't want to, I don't want to fix it. It's not broken. Not realizing it doesn't have to do with being broken to buy a better model. I I have a, a theory that I, when I talk to young comics, try and, and put in their heads, in that structure is kind of the enemy, and freedom is the goal. And when you're out there, and, and I don't mean structure in terms of rules, I mean structure in comics are so worried about how many jokes per minute do I have? Is this setup punchline? You start. You have to start in my in my in my viewpoint with what do you want to talk about? How do you go from deciding what to talk about to deciding what to bring on stage? What's your process of creation? You know, you got the uh, your filter of averages, and the filter of averages is a huge library of mushed together gig memories of what kind of shit usually works in what set. And that's that nose, you smell the crowd and you know, oh, maybe I don't do so much the politics angle tonight. Maybe we'll stay more on the social because it's, you know, it's all social anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe these guys, okay, these guys just want to hear about sex. And, how do I compromise sneaking? A lot of times is I try to find a way to get my message in around the, the thing they like. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight, you know, but I don't, I also don't want to completely accede who I am to it. Now I, I do want to talk because you mentioned politics and to me, you're one of the comics that kind of paid a price, you know, for being, a little bit on the political side. Your stand-up specials, uh, and if, if people haven't seen them, go back, find them online. They're they're absolutely wonderful. Um, Thanks, man. And, and then at some point you stopped getting used, and it seemed to be about the same point where you started getting more political on stage. Do you think that yes. was deliberate, uh, industry-wise? Do I think it was what industry-wise? Do you think it was a deliberate choice by the industry? to kind of semi-blackball you and not put you up. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. It was certainly a funny special, I thought. People were telling me it was really good and all that, my half hour. And mm -hmm. it's broken into five segments on YouTube. You can see for yourself. Yeah. And uh, I talk about a lot of what's going on now. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. You know and look, I don't, I don't like being right about that stuff. I just try to make it a little lighter and funnier. You know, Bill Hicks and I were buddies, and he uh, he decided he had to go to the UK to break in because they wouldn't let him break in here. And I stayed here because of acting. Rich Hall and Bill Hicks were both saying, "You got to come out to the UK, man. You bust open the track." And I went, eh, "I got. I'm still working. I'm an actor. I'm a SAG member, and uh, no wonder what would have happened sometimes." 
had I gone over there and then brought that heat here, you know, uh, might have been a different story. But yeah, doors kind of closed up after the that special, which you can see on HBO. Yep. So I don't know what happens after that. I guess uh, you know it made me go more into acting, get better and better at it, try to try to stay in my job, you know. And then I got into writing. I was writing on the Dennis Miller Live Show on HBO for a while. You won a Writers Guild Award, did you not? Yeah, and, a, and an Emmy. Yeah, so, you know, you, you seem to be successful in all the things you do. Is it the same set? Because it's improv, it's acting, and it's a more improvisational style of acting uh, many times when, when you're working. Um, and then it's performing stand-up. What are the skill sets that you're bringing along to all of them? Is there a commonality to these, or are they three different and distinct skill sets? No, I think the commonality is you're interjecting you into all of it. You're putting yourself into it. And that whatever that means, whatever self-injection introspection means, uh, will sort of show up in all the performances. Some people completely disappear into a character. Daniel Day-Lewis, he just, original Daniel evaporates and he's this other guy. But you watch enough of his performances, you'll start to see the through line of some sort. You'll just start to see it. And I think that's the same with anybody. As a, a musician who changes all their songs and you know, all the things, you'll start to recognize a style from the musician. A painter, you'll start to see the pointillism or the whatever. You know, you'll, you'll see the stroke in everything. And you're, if you did it well, it isn't that you got caught doing it, but that they like that you did it. They like your signature on things. Any quirky actor that you are fond of, you like their signature. That shows up even when it seems like they completely disappeared into somebody else. It's something about it you like about them. And I think, you know, another way to say it is you call them personalities or something like that. But that's where the personality goes in. The personality, the person, what they believe, what they think kind of shows up everywhere. And you can change it all you want, but there's a, there's another thing behind it. So we and and people, if you did it well, they like the balance. That's the part of the richness of it. If it's just one thing, you'll see it as such. Yeah, that is, that is very true. Why do you think stand up doesn't have the notoriety or the cachet as an art form that other other art forms do? You never, you would never go up to a fine artist and say painting is an art. But I hear people come up to comics all the time and say comedy isn't an art form. Do you think there's a reason why people believe that? I think there's a lot of reasons people believe it. I think it's because they are referring to classical arts, and they're not even correct about that because Grand Guignol is comedy, Shakespeare has comedy. Yeah. There are funny paintings. Yeah. There, it just it took this form. And so people, some, some people say they hate hip hop. And I don't like all hip hop, but there's some brilliant hip hop. I don't judge the style, I judge the artist. And even when I'm judging the artist, it's difficult to do because it's such an interpretive thing. It's so subjective that uh, maybe the word judge isn't right. I try to assess the artist, I try to figure it out. Judgment might not be the right word. Yeah. I try to suss the artist. Um, I really want to talk to you about this because you've got a unique perspective in that you are one of the more enlightened 
socially enlightened people that I get to talk to on a regular basis. You genuinely care about other people and you genuinely care about their feelings. Um, and that comes out in your art. It also comes out, uh, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of conversations with you. It also comes out there. Um, but we're also, uh, you and I, veterans of the comedy boom in the 80s, when things weren't as PC. And looking back on some of the old tapes, I know for me, I've seen a couple of things that I want, mm, uh, the 55-year-old the Jim would have loved to have known what I know back then when I made that joke. How much of art do you think you can judge in retrospect? How much of the artist do you think you can judge in retrospect? I would just show you a couple of early animated cartoons. Yeah. From the 30s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Look what they green lit. And <laughs> oh, I think we are, we're our own, at least up to a point where we are our own worst critics, which has a good and bad side to it. But I would think that uh, when we're looking back on, I don't, know, I don't even want to call it youthful indiscretion, there's comics still talking about that stuff right now. Oh, yeah. Who are, you know, years into it, and they're still saying all those things that we can't, rather yeah. than dwell on the topics of it, I would say that the phenomenon is going to burn itself out. PC will burn out right. at some point. It will cook its. I don't know when it'll happen on campuses necessarily, but it'll happen, I think, in the lexicon pretty soon, just from overuse. It doesn't mean it won't come back. It just means like a season, it'll roll in. How many times have you seen it roll through now, old dog? <laughs> Right? It has. Keeps right? coming back all the time. Keeps coming back like a season. But let me ask you, do you think there's a need for it? Do you think there's a need, and I'm not so much saying is there a need for PC, is there a need for artists to, to say to other artists, hey, you know what, this is permanent. You might want to think before you speak. I, I've had to do that with certain improvisational friends of mine who would work with character things on stage that nah, can't do that anymore man not this not this era can't play like that it's not innocent anymore it's too loaded too loaded don't go there it's not you can chase them away from a laugh doing that you know you can just because yeah. they let's know the house enough to know they're thinking something else when you do it even though they didn't think it the first time you did it don't be the last to know when you're trying to be funny don't be the last to know comics are supposed to be the first to know um, I also want to talk about time, um, because we, we are all victims of father time, whether we want to or not. When I first met you in Los Angeles, I was 21 years old, the first time we met at the comedy store. Um, and I am clearly not 21 anymore. Um, but I'm of the feeling that my comedy is improving with age. Do you think that for, not all artists, but for you, is it getting better? Are you more sure of your instrument? Do you like this version of Rick Overton more than you like the, the Rick Overton in your 20s and 30s? Well, they say that every comic needs 10 years to find their voice. I think the for young comics to they go, what's this, my voice? I'm talking now. Why does that mean? It's knowing your opinions about things. And you have to experience a decade of expressing them, getting whatever 
you know, approval or fight you get back for it until you start to piece it all together and you see what you got. And then when you talk about that, you own the bit differently. You can see when a comic's doing something about a wife he doesn't have, going to do a thing he didn't do, and it just looks cold and flat and, you know, gets a, get, gets a 35 laugh, you know. Yeah. All right. So what are the rules? Like, if you're, if you're saying your, your personal rules, like for me, I try and stay on stage. It needs to be honest experience. It needs to be something I'm passionate about. I don't want to talk about something just because the rest of the world says I should talk about it. What are the rules that you build your set around? The rules are all in my gut for this. They're not in my head and there's, it doesn't all have words. What feels like we got to do? What is it? What's it's like a dog? Oh boy, come on, old boy. What are we gonna do now? Where are we gonna find him? I go, I hold a piece of cloth in front of my gut's nose, and then it goes and looks for the bit like a hound. And uh, I let it, I let it run and drag me behind it on the leash through the woods to find the bad guy or the good guy or whatever. And so I'm, uh, I'm gut guided by a lot of this, and I'm using for the moral compass. It's just my opinions, man. It's the same. I don't be, if I'm playing an opposite guy, it's because I'm doing it in, in an arch manner to say it. This is the opposite of what I think. And that's the joke. Uh, or I'm just really just, I'm just literal. And I'll speak figuratively about something I'm describing, but I'm literal about, about what I believe and who I'm projecting as me. So my beliefs are literal. Yeah, it's, it's a good place to start. We've all seen a lot of comics that don't do that whatsoever, you know. Um, when I talk to people about process, for instance, I talked to Robert Klein about process, and he talks about... I just about talked to him last night. Did you? He, yeah. He's one, another really great human being to talk to. I was in tears the whole time. <laughs> but he talks about, you know, writing in a notebook, bringing it to the stage, shaping it on the stage, bringing it back, shaping it some more and bouncing back and forth. Um, sure. it, you know, uh, a conversation I had before he passed away with George Carlin, he talked about writing it down on uh, paper one time to get the thought down, and then never going back to the paper, shaping yeah. it on stage. That's closer to my prompt, my my process, even without writing it down at all. Uh, you, then later I write it down after I saw it do nicely, and I'll take what did nicely, try to jot it down and say, can I mess with this? Does this go further? I try to run branches out. It goes this way. How funny is that? This way. Ding, ding, ding. Maybe a little further here, but only two, three lines further. There isn't a 15 here, you know. Okay. And then other ones, oh, this is a whole open plateau of things to talk about because of all the added subjects that drop on. Because otherwise, you can go, I can add subjects to it, but it looks like I just went off the rails and I'm not yeah. going to talk about the original thing anymore. So there's a fake version of extending a bit. Yeah. It becomes unrelatable, and it's out of your own grasp. You just talk yourself out of your bit. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. That's, that's a really great, you know, thing to to mention to writers because there's there are those tangents that logically connect and keep you rooted to the original concept, and that that bit can go on as long as those tangents still hold form. And what you're talking about is you're talking about I'm going to go from talking about beaches to water to the sky because the sky is the same color as water and, and, and those tangents get looser and looser. Um, 
is that some of them are logic connections some of them are emotional theme connections anger about this to go to anger about that it doesn't right. have to be looks like all the time it feels like sometimes you can use your heart to tell you now how long did it take you to learn how to tell the difference between the two because i see a lot of young stand-ups struggling with the well i could just go here you know and i just do it there's no way to explain it except do it so many times that your dog tells you no we go down this alley down here not that one now do you it's an instinct thing it, yeah and building up and that comes from repetition you do it enough and the repetition will teach you it's just about doing it doing it doing it uh, all right now even after all these years if you could ideally rick overton could set his own calendar work it as much or as little as he wants how many times a week are you getting on stage? I like to go get up and do an improv anywhere, anytime. Five, six, seven days a week. If it's improv, if it's my set, maybe once a week, twice a week. Right. But I want to do improv all the time. At this point in your career, are you enjoying the improv more than you're enjoying the stand-up? That's why I love set lists so much. It's both. Troy Conrad and Paul Provenza are geniuses and they have built this incredible thing. I'm so grateful. It's changed my whole perspective on all of it. It's a reason to get up there. Go on YouTube and look at set lists. There's a lot of them. Yep. Um, yeah, and, thing of beauty. Mm. And let's talk about that because um, you did a totally improvised set list and you did an hour. You know, and no, Cut back and we do an analysis on it later. We kind of explain some of this, it's so new. And so it's almost an hour of me doing it. And then we're okay. gonna show in the uh, in the, the, the tail end, we show breaking it down and explaining what it is. First you go and you enjoy it and you watch it. And then we break down and show the people what, uh, what, what this means and what we were doing. We didn't want to do it in the front of the special because that's like, oh, I just want to get to the laughs. Yeah. Get the laughs and go, but that was kind of weird. What was that? Oh, there it is. We want people talking about it. I want set list to live forever. All right, and, and so your special is exactly what set list is. All the things we've been talking about with set list throughout this, if they Dream, go turn, talk. Oh my God, what am I gonna do? Holy shit, you know? So when does it drop on Comedy Dynamics? I think it should be out in the next month. All right, and uh, when it comes out, we look forward to having you again, and we want to talk to you, you got it. even more about it. and. Uh, Maybe we can even break it down and explain to the audience how you came up with some of that stuff. That's what I want to do. I want to make this special for comics to understand what this is and to see the yeah. process so that they can go and try and do it too. I want them to do it. I want them to get good at this. Last question and then I'll let you go because you've been more than kind with your time. What's next? What's the next thing you want to accomplish? I want to accomplish lasagna. You know what? I think that's. I'm going to cook. I'm gonna, that's an art form, my friend. Cooking is yes. an art form. Yes, and it I'm is. Learning to, I actually am learning to cook, and it's not as as farty or bad as I was joking. But uh, I'm getting pretty good at making my own stuff now. You know, stick sticking in the house here. Objective wise, in the entertainment business, I would love to see this special become a series of specials. Yeah. Set list one, two, three, four, five, and start rolling them out because. If you do this right, it can't burn out. No, improvisation. It has to keep going. Improvisation never gets old. It never right. repeats because it's honest and of the moment. Right? That's it, exactly. 
we want to thank you so much for, for being on. And uh, I, will, I will definitely let you know exactly when this is going to air. Young Comics have so much that they can learn from you. How about a shout out to your website so they know where to go to find you? Well, it's just at Rick Overton on Twitter. There you go. That's the easiest way to get them. And you guys will have a blast when you do. Uh, and you'll learn a lot. And go watch specials. And especially go watch those five parts that are the uh, HBO special. You got to see what he was talking about because it is uh, freakishly connected to what is going on in the pandemic right now. Uh, and you guys do need to see that. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. We'll talk to you Thanks, again man. soon. Great talking to you, buddy. Thanks Great again. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. Rick has had an amazing journey through this industry, and he's not done yet. As you heard him say, it just gets better. The instrument gets deeper. The more you use it, the more you get to know it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the next 10, 20 years and beyond. Now, for you guys, we've got another great episode coming at you next week. Be sure to subscribe. Uh, be sure to tell your friends about it. And uh, if you've got any feedback for us, we'd love to hear about it, either in the comment section or just drop me a line. Uh, my website, worldsbestcomic.com. Find me there. And uh, don't be shy. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. This has been a new Media Comedy Worldwide production.